read the synopsis for this one, my first thought was, oh, okay, I know that's one. Now, I'm not going to spoil it, but basically, there's another episode future down the line, which I was thinking was this one. I was like, oh, that's not this one. Which one's this one, then? Huh. Let me think about this. <clears throat> then I went through the whole episode, and I never really remembered it in any significant way. Obviously, I did recognize the episode. I have seen this episode before, but by the time I was finished going through the episode, let's just say I became fully cognizant of why it is that this episode is not particularly memorable. It's not that bad. I have seen so many worse episodes than this one. But it's not particularly good, either. It is bland. Now, don't mistake me. It is nice to see some more information about the Trill. Some fascinating information about the Trill, no less. And to see Terry Farrell being allowed to, you know, act and stretch as an actor. In fact, I wrote down uh, just some of the things she managed uh, very well in this episode, acting-wise. Which include cold fury, humiliation, barely restraint, bare restraint... Restraint barely, I don't know, basically holding herself back, right? Quiet terror, vulnerability, uncertainty, um, and finally and most importantly of all, inner peace, be being at the point where she is comfortable with herself. She does a lot of this throughout the course of this episode, and a few others that I didn't jot down. And she does a good job of it. And in fact, I would say that the first few, several minutes, like 20-ish minutes of the episode, are some of the most interesting parts of the episode, where it's all focusing on her. There's even some really cool tricks with regards to how they present the hallucinations. My favorite by far is she's walking on the promenade, and the camera pans over, and with nothing more than simple usage of sets, lighting, and uh, people in the background... And, and some good sound editing. She goes from da-da-da-da-da to, oh, God, where am I? And then Quark shows up, right? Very good presentation. Doesn't require any particularly extensive amount of special effects. Just some good timing and some good, some, some good execution on good old practical effects. Very well done. I wanted to give definite praise. They do that twice in the episode, and both times it is a very good, very smooth transition. <clears throat> Uh, I also want to give praise to the teaser, to rewind a little bit. The teaser's good stuff. Now, I, anybody who knows me knows I have a big thing for food. That's why I'm huge. No, what I mean by that is I love food, culturally speaking. I find food to be one of the most interesting topics when it comes to society, culture. And, of course, I've often said that one of the best ways to help build a world, to do world building and setting building, is to start with the food. Think about what they eat, why they eat it, how they eat it, how they cook it, how they produce it, how they ship it. And just kind of growing from there, there's so much you can do with that. So seeing the beginning, focusing on this cooking by Cisco for the rest of his senior staff, was kind of nice. It helps to show the friendship that's just kind of naturally grown between these people. It shows that Cisco's uh, love of cooking, which is an already established thing. This is also the first time he mentions his dad's uh, restaurant in New Orleans. New Orleans, I think. It's a very hard word for, for me to pronounce. Please forgive me. And um, I also love the way that Odo has a certain fascination for food, or more accurately, the preparation for food. And he gets really, really <laughs> into the... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just the way he does it. Credit to Renee Abershaw. He's like... Hur, 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 hur. <laughs> you know, it was good stuff. So... Dax acts unusually, and I was all ready to make fun, because one of the things that irritates the ever-living crap out of me is when someone acts out of character in Star Trek, and everyone just kind of goes, meh. 
in a setting in which mind control and shapeshifters and manipulation and genetic resequencing and literal surgery to make people look like other people. I mean, we saw that just a bit ago in uh, Tribunal. There's so many different methods which can affect and change someone. Alien invaders, you know. So at least this time, Cisco pretty much immediately sends Kira to check up on Dax. And then when Dax continues to be an issue, they send her to the freaking med bay to figure out what the hell's going on. Thank you for actually having some competency on that one. I like the masks on masks thing. In fact, apparently that was one of the things that inspired the entire episode. That and the idea of, what if she has a symbiote she doesn't even know about? I'm not even going to comment on the idea that they somehow managed to block an entire symbiote's memories from her. Let's, let's, let's just presume they have the magic medical technology to do that, and it's temporary, which they didn't think about for some reason. As an aside, if the memory blocks are temporary and wear down, wouldn't they have to reapply them, like, all the time? Right? I mean, they didn't really think this through, did they? Why did they take the Defiant to this? Now, for those of you who didn't pay attention, they did actually do some new stuff with the Defiant, uh, touching up the set, making it look nicer and just better in general, I would say, especially with regards to the uh, the command chair. But as I like the Defiant as much as anybody. Well, that's not true. I like the Defiant quite a bit, and I like seeing the new set design, but why are they taking their only warship in a situation which several episodes in a row have emphasized the Dominion are coming, the Dominion are coming, we're all afraid of the Dominion. Let's go to the Trill Homeworld. Peace. <laughs> I mean, granted, if the Dominion invaded, the Defiant isn't going to do much more than be a speed bump. But without the Defiant, there's no speed bump, right? I mean, it's, anyways, anyways. There's a really, really good scene in this episode. It's probably the one scene that truly is memorable for me. And once I re-saw it, I was like, damn, that was awesome. It's the scene between Bashir and Dax. That is to say, Bashir and Jadzia Dax. The... There's just a sort of a natural chemistry and... The word I want to use is camaraderie between the two. You could see that friendship. You could see that he honestly gives a damn, both as her doctor and as her friend. And you could see that she feels comfortable enough with him to be open about something that she is very afraid of, that she has legitimately worked herself up into a knot about. And you can tell how comforting he is to her because she just passes right out once she is allowed to sleep somewhere where she doesn't have to be alone. It would be very easy for this scene to be bad, for it to be badly executed, Badly acted, badly written. None of that happened. Props. So. Oh, yeah. Quick aside thing. Really quick. Um, Bashir's comment. I, I, I discovered that I really just want to help people. I know that's a simple thing, but that really does speak to the core of Bashir's character. Something we've already seen and will continue to examine in the future. I just wanted to comment on that really quickly. So. There's this nice line where Jadzia says, I don't need therapy, I need answers. I found something about that line amusing, because I've known several people, including myself, who, for whom answers can be therapeutic, knowing the truth about a situation, knowing the reality of how someone feels or how someone felt or why something happened can help you to process mentally and emotionally through something that you've been through. Um, just pointing it out. <laughs> Uh, and 
they go and they meet the Guardians. Now, I have, a, I have many questions about the Guardians. My very first thought is that they're literally telepathic. Like, he looks at her. He looks at her and is like, you're Dax. Uh, yeah. And then he looks at her and is like, oh, something's wrong. And identifies that immediately. And then can just put his hand on her belly, around where the symbiote's going to be, and can detect... Just from that, that there's something going on with some of the hosts, one of the hosts not interacting properly with the, with the symbiote. What? Now, I can accept a lot of stuff in Star Trek, but you gotta explain at least a little bit of it. Now, what I like to think personally is that with their extensive knowledge of genetic engineering, they literally engineer the Guardians in order to be basically... Uh, psychically, electrically, chemically, whatever, connected to the symbiotes, to the point where they could just do exactly what he did on a normal basis, helping use, basically putting them in the perfect position to be able to take care of the symbiotes. That being said, <clears throat> there's... Well, before I continue, I just want to take a quick aside, because then like 20 minutes of Bashir and Sisko discussing the obvious happens. It's a really boring section of the show. Even the writers of the show and the creators and producers of the show said, yeah, this is boring. We, we, this didn't work. We wanted this to work. It didn't. Whatever. But this brings me to my core point. Now, I have talked about this concept before, the idea of Trill Society. Now, as we have also discussed before, they were making it up as they went. So, you know, they kept inventing new facts about Trill Society as they went. Which means the whole idea of plenty of people can be hosts is a new idea as of this episode. Not 100% confirmed, but very likely. I like that. To me, that's a good move. It makes the trill... more complex. Because it's not just some Orwellian kind of tyrannical, oh, we must oppress the lesser people. Instead, it is an enforced caste system for the sake of maintaining a semblance of stability. Understanding that it is not a perfect system, but recognizing that without it, things will most likely be worse. She herself gives one of the most wonderful explanations of that, although she doesn't go into the depths of it that I would have preferred. Think about it this way. One of the most core, basic economic principles that exists is supply and demand. Now, I know that sounds very duh, so I'm, forgive me for saying something very duh, but the entire purpose is if you supply X and you demand X plus 5, the cost, the requirement, the prestige, the desire of whatever that supply is, is going to go up. It is going to cost more to procure, to ship, to present, to, to purchase at the final step of the line than it otherwise would, in fact, than it otherwise should. Because it's not actually worth all that much money, really. It's not worth all that effort, it's not worth all that whatever it is that you're putting into it, that currency, or that energy, or that time. The resources spent there are spent because it is artificially inflated in value thanks to it artificially being reduced, well, excuse me, excuse me, thanks to it re being reduced in the amount that it can be. 
Trill society would be monumentally different if they understood that over half the Trills could have symbiotes. Remember, as we've talked about before, Trill society venerates those who get symbiotes. They spend tons and tons of time. It's the elite of the elite. Only the best of the best get it. And everyone feels better about it. We even had an episode entirely about that very concept where I discussed this at length, so I'm not going to repeat myself extensively here. In fact, as I pointed out back in that episode, he was a fine, uh, you know, he was willing to accept the Dax symbiote. There's no problems there, right? Anyways, point being, this is a desirable thing, a desirable commodity. And the symbiotes suddenly become a product. And you can see just how messed up that is, especially since it is within the realm of feasibility that the symbiotes do actually have the capacity for some degree of sentience or sapience, although that has been debated many times. We ourselves have debated this on this very show. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But my point is, I see her point. I do. Giving this information out openly is a dangerous thing to do. The only way to really deal with this is to kind of keep everything on the down low quietly for as long as possible until enough symbiotes can exist to support demand or until you find some other way around the problem. Now the catch there is, if we are to presume a relatively equal population growth, there will never be enough symbiotes to to supply the demand, which means they will have to maintain this particular conspiracy for as long as feasibly possible. The only other option would be to really get heavy on mandating things, to, to basically have legality step in and clamp down the irons on this entire situation, which would, of course, lead to black market symbiotes and thievery and basically slavery at that point. You know, uh, people selling, or people selling, except selling symbiotes rather than other trills. It's not a fun situation. And it's probably the most, I'd say the second most interesting aspect of the episode. The first being the friendship scene I mentioned earlier. And actually, that's about all I've got on this episode. I do love one final thing. I want to give credence to this. Cisco basically is like, look, um, I care about her, not your stupid secret. So you're going to save her life or I'm going to tell everyone, everyone about this. Now, credit where credit is due, they could have gone the stereotypical thing and have her be like, then I will shoot you with this medical phaser thing, because I am suddenly stupidly evil. Instead, she just tries to convince him. She sits there and says, okay, look, and she explains everything to him that I have just explained to you. And upon said explanation, he says, yeah, that's nice, that doesn't change my view. Do you now understand my terms? And she's like, fine, whatever. But what I love about it is the fact that it is her decision. Oh, not the doctor's. Judzia's. That I like a lot. Because that's exactly what it should be, in my opinion, in this case. This is your life. You should be the one to make this choice. Not Joel. (laughs) Yeah, I'm calling it out on that one. I did actually enjoy parts of this episode. I'd say it's below average overall. I think a lot more could have been done with it if it was focused more on Jadzia or the culture of the Trill rather than the mystery. And the mystery, I felt, was very much the weakest part of the entire episode. Regardless, I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you guys next time.